Hello and welcome to All His Movies, the Shia LaBeouf podcast. This is episode three, Charlie Countryman from 2013. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And I forgot how much I love this movie. This is a movie that I saw a couple years ago in my, you know, the last few years I've seen about 200 or more new releases. You know, really, really sort of OCD and over the top in terms of that. <laughs> yeah. This was just one that I, I don't remember... I think it might have been, like, the DVD art or something. There was something, like, small, or maybe it was just the fact that Mads Mikkelsen was in it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it was, but it was one of those ones where I had never heard of it, and I remember really, really liking it, and then just sort of forgetting a lot about it. And so I remember when we started this project up, I was like, oh, this is going to be another one, a good one to go back to. And I know, sort of a spoiler alert for what you're about to say, but I think we both really liked it, right? Yeah, yeah. I was extremely surprised by this film. I hadn't heard of it until we started doing this project. Um, I'm surprised about that because a little while back, I tried to do like a bit of a Mads Mikkelsen marathon to a degree. I got into him through his uh, Nicholas Winding Refn work, and I really love him as an actor. I'm surprised that I never came across this movie before, and I really enjoyed it. Well, it only had a domestic total gross of $11,000, so it's not like you would have ever seen it in theaters. It's mm-hmm. one of those ones that, you know, it. I guess you sort of have to uh, find it on VOD, stuff. or yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but even that way, like, even through chatter and, you know, like, word of mouth and friends and stuff, like, no one's, no one's ever mentioned this to me. It's still a movie that I really like, and I feel like now that I've seen it a second time, it might not escape me as much, but there's something about it, and I don't mean this really as a negative, I don't know, it's just sort of it. Although, I guess it is a negative. It's sort of forgettable in some ways. Hmm. It just... I think it's just sort of in the storytelling. Like, it's kind of like a slice of life that there's not really... I'm not yeah. sure. Like, this this seems critical of it, and I, I don't mean it to be. I just... I don't know how to better describe it. There's something about this movie you kind of can't quite place your finger on. Like, um, mm-hmm. it's very tonal. There's, like, this very dream-like, almost, sense to the entire movie, you know? It, there's a lot of coincidence, a lot of destiny. It's almost one of those destiny films, kind of like a like a darker Walter Mitty esque type film. You know what I mean? Where it's just about this guy who is finding his place in life. It's about this boy, basically. Well, I guess he's like in his twenties or so, but it's about Shia, who whose mom dies, and then yep. he basically leaves the country to go find himself. The whole movie, he's going to Bucharest, and everybody's like, "Are you sure you're not supposed to be going to Budapest?" He's like, "No, my mom told me to go to Bucharest." And then I guess the irony at the end is that his mom is like, oh, I meant to say Budapest. Like his mom, who is dead, who sort of re- reappears as a spirit throughout. She's like, I always mix those two up. I'm sorry, you should have been in Budapest this whole time. You want some more advice? No advice, I'm good. You were a great mom. Sell a B plus. B plus? You bring me all this friggin' way? Exactly with you. B plus? You are an A. You are an A. You know, it's funny. When I told you to go to Bucharest, I get Budapest. <laughs> I get them all mixed up. It's classic me, right? <laughs> I can see you've come exactly as far as you needed to go. Not quite. I hope you don't die, kiddo. 
If I do, I die for love. Pretty fucking cool way to go. Like, the only thing about this movie that I don't really... I can't 100% get behind is how quickly he feels responsible for Evan Rachel Wood's character. He, he basically, you know, through happenstance and everything, it's, it's wonderful and we'll get to all that. He sort of, he, he connects with her and he falls in love with her and I'm totally cool with all that. But then he just feels like he needs to save her within like two days of meeting her. And it just feels like a little bit, like I don't know how to better do it. I know that's sort of what you need for this kind of story. I just, that's the only thing I can't get behind. But everything else, it's sort of, you know, this, this accidental, hey, go to Bucharest that sort of leads to this, like, chain of events that changes his life and a couple other people's lives forever, and it just, it's just wonderful. It's almost, like, fable-esque in a way. You know, early on, they set up they set up this stuff, like, when he sees his mom pass away, he sees her spirit leave her body, in a way, like, through her mouth and stuff, and so the movie sets up this language where there's going to be surreal elements, and you have to you know, pick up on stuff like that. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. A bit of the relationship stuff is rushed, but um, thinking back on it, they, it's kind of like all about grief, right? Like Shia's right. mom just passed away, and on his way to Bucharest, he's sitting next to this man on the plane, and they get to know each other, and then that man passes away in his sleep. And so Shia connects with the man's daughter, also in grief, and so I think there's some kind of connection they make throughout all that on top of him helping her get away from the Mads Mikkelsen character, her previous, um, her ex-husband, her abusive ex-husband. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there is a connection, and I do get behind that. I just, I don't know what it is. It just feels, I guess it is sort of a special connection that they're going through the same thing, and even before he tells her that his mom died, they're still sort of connected, and just when he tells her that, like, that sort of almost seals the deal, right? Yeah, and I also think there's sort of like this quality about Charlie Countryman himself about how I don't know he, t- he he's just like um willing to be there in a weird way that I noticed you know like he doesn't he's not really concerned with like where am I going to sleep where am I going to eat what am I going to do and like he's just concerned that she's okay that she gets her cello back that she gets her purse that she left in the car back and I don't know there's just something the loyalty about that in the character there's just something instantly you could like get behind him and I wonder if she saw that I don't know if you knew I don't know if you saw this or read this but the original title for the movie was The Necessary Death of Charlie Countryman Mm. That sort of feels like I, it's a better title, I think, because Charlie Countryman. I think that might be a reason why people don't like. Is it just a weird, like, is it like, is that his? It is his name, but it also feels like it's not his name. Like, it's just, it's yeah. strange. I think the name, the necessary death of Charlie Countryman, really emphasizes why he's willing to, or not. It's not like emphasizes why he's willing to go so far for her, but he feels like he, like his purpose, the reason that is maybe, maybe even like the reason his mom died, the reason he's going to Bucharest is to save this girl. And that no matter what it takes, even if he has to die to do it, you know, he's going to free her from this life of being married to, sort of against her will, married to like a mobster and sort of ingrained in this Romanian gangster culture. Even if he has to die to free her, that's what he's going, he's, what he's willing to do. He's willing to basically risk his life to save her. And I think that's like the point is it's all for love and that's what he's about. And, and even Mads Mikkelsen's character, who's like pure evil, is also like, you know, love is the dangerous game. It can turn to blood at any time, you know, and, and 
he learns that anything worth having is worth fighting for, worth giving your life for. And you know, luckily, in the end, he's he's right about her. Uh, about the Gabby character and that she reciprocates. It's really not clear for a while, though, because, I mean, it's hard to tell really where she's coming from, and I think that's kind of the point, that it seems like she's really into Shy, because when we first meet Mads Mikkelsen, you know, Shy's like, how do you know him? And she says, I used to be married to him, and he's just like, used to be married? No, we're like, we're still married. And he's, he's, she's dropping in a whole <laughs> lot of curses. I mean, he's very passionate about, like, this is not over, Gabby. It feels like she's done with that, and sort of, whether or not she's, like, ready to start a relationship with Shia, she kind of makes a decision in her mind when she whispers to him in Romanian, like, if you find me tomorrow, I'll kiss you. You know, I think that's sort of like, you know, if fate's going to bring us together again, then maybe this is meant to be. So, like, until then, you're not really sure, but then when they finally get together, when they finally sleep together, you're like, okay, like, this is it, like, this is, you know, they're gonna escape together, and then all of a sudden she's just back with Mads, and you're like, I don't know, like, it's hard to get a read on her, which I think is why it what sort of makes her interesting. Yeah, I like that, too. There's, like, a real sort of power struggle going on in the relationship, and, and I think, you know, that is true to abusive relationships, and she, you know, has that wonderful moment where she talks about her backstory and how she met the Mads Mikkelsen guy, and she played cello in this cafe, and he was really a creepy. Yeah, he was like this gangster healing in the apartment above, like hiding out, and he approached her one day and said her playing saved his life, and later on, after she had fallen in love, realized like he was this drug-running murdering bastard basically and it was too late and stuff and so I bought the idea that you know she's kind of back and forth with Shia she wants to be with him because all she's really known is that like men are assholes and here comes Charlie and like he's legit honest open and sincere and everything and it just feels like it's what she deserves and it's something that she should have found a lot earlier and you know she was almost connived by the gangster guy to fall in love with and you know it just feels like this this is the way it should be in a lot of, like a relationship like a mm-hmm. right like this is the way a healthy relationship should be and charlie is the <laughs> right person for her so i yeah by the end of the movie like i understand you know, why she's, like, maybe going back with Mads, but then in the end does choose Charlie. I'm trying to figure out why this movie was so poorly received by critics. Like, I think on Metacritic it has, like, a 30 average, which is terrible, and I'm not sure if that's how many reviews that actually counts. I'm going to look that up right now. I wonder if it's people not believing that there's really... not being able to sort of... not, not follow, but, like, not being able to sort of get in line with the way that she that their relationship develops um, i mean th- this is based on it's based on 20 reviews i mean so i buy it more than in the born the first jason born movie right like they he forms a relationship with the girl in that film i feel like a lot faster and under situations like a lot less convincing you know like I, that's the thing too i'm surprised how poorly received this film is when i went to look it up and see how you know how it did and everything like that because I think it's really well directed. I think it's a very interesting script, or at least, like, you know, the twists and turns that the story takes. It, it's always shifting gears every, you know, 15, 20 minutes. That maybe it comes down to Shia. Maybe people just wrote off Shia LaBeouf and, you know, shouldn't have because he's really good in this movie. I really like him in it. This movie re emphasizes how, like, I'm so excited that we're doing Shia because 
This is three movies in a row, and I mean, Nymphomaniac was a little bit different, but like this in theory, especially with Nymphomaniac sort of in the background, it's just like, these are just like energetic performances. Like they are, like he's just full of energy in these things. It really reminds me of... And, you know, we're recording this a couple months ahead, so there might be stuff coming up that I'm not, I don't know about yet, but, like, there's, there's like, an excitement here that I feel like we felt with a lot of the Cage films that we really haven't seen from Keanu, sort of. Mm. I don't, it's just, like, these bold, I don't know, it's just, like, I don't know what's going to happen, like, it's exciting. I think you mentioned something in the last podcast, how he's, like, one of the greatest character actors there is, you know, that ended up being, like, a famous A-list actor somehow. Like, he kind of vanishes behind the role in a lot of ways, right? Like, he ceases to be Shia, and he's Charlie to me. And in the last movie, you know, he was Jerome. And in the previous movie, he was the preacher. And, you know, it's just like, I'm watching him, and I know it's him, but I believe he's the character. Like, buying his performance, never do I sit there and think, like, he's straining to pull any of this off. You know, it's coming... It seems very natural to me. One thing that I read that I really don't know how to take is that at one point in pre-production, Shia dropped out of the project. I don't know if you... Did you read who replaced him for a little bit? Was it... Is that Zach Braff? No, Zach Efron. Oh, Zach Efron. Okay, sorry. I didn't... I saw a Zach. Which is... Mind-boggling. I don't know... Yeah, because what's... what's the, the, the initial weird thing is that we've done... You know, over a hundred podcasts so far. We're fine, and like we've had none of these actors have combined. Like Cage has never worked with Keanu, has never worked with Shia, has never worked with Zach. I mean, we'll eventually get to one for Constantine, I think, right, where mm-hmm. Shia and Keanu were together. Yep. We've done so many movies over such a long period of time, and nothing, and like even stuff that we haven't done, like in Keanu Club, like things like it, they, just these guys do not work together. So to see one actor that we're doing was temporarily replaced by another actor, it's, like, mind-boggling. But I also feel like... I don't know. I don't... I can't see Zeph in this role. I don't think... I, I don't know. I think he's too... He's not, like, dirty enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, not dirty in, like, a profane way. Dirty in, like, a gritty, like, a... I, I, I just don't see it. I mean, we, I think one thing about Shia in this is, like... Uh, he feels seasoned in a way, you know, like he feels like he's breaking in a way he breaks from his image kind of. And I don't know that Zeph has built up the image to break yet. And I, I don't know if that is very clear, but like what I mean is like this isn't seem like the type of role that Shia would maybe be expected to pull off this well or or do at this time. I don't know. I, I couldn't see I couldn't see Efron in this either. I don't was there like an ad for Paperboy during during the DVD? There's of this? an ad for Paperboy on the Blu-ray. So like, yeah. There's a close to crossover there and stuff, but like even in Paperboy, like he wasn't really pulling that off. So I don't know. Yeah, I just think that Shia has done enough to really find this character. You know, it feels almost like Shia's playing a bit of himself because at this point in career, like searching for his next step, what he's going to be. Maybe this is when he starts taking it in a bit of a more, you know, serious direction. I, I can't, like, there's certain movies that we've done, like, I can't see anybody else in the role. And I, I really have a hard time picturing anybody else in this role, aside from Shia. I don't know what it is. Like, it's it's got to be, like, there's, there's, like, a level of innocence here, as well as the willingness to just sort of, like, let it all go and not care about how you're portrayed. I mean, again, like, a couple times, you know, we just watched Nymphomania, we just saw lots of Shia's body. Like, he's naked again in this movie a couple times, you know? There's that one scene where they're on drugs. Like, they take ecstasy. And by the way, Shia in 
filming this movie took LSD to film that scene. I mean, this is this is Shia the method actor doing whatever he needs to do to sort of, you know, nail the part. He's so committed to it and so dedicated to it. And I, I know that that's not necessarily always going to be the case because we have three Transformers movies coming up. We have these kids movies coming up. We have animated movies coming up. But it's these, it's these newer movies, and I'm still, like I said last episode, I think, kind of fearing when he's going to go from, like, ultimate method character actor to something else. Hmm. Yeah, what's really interesting about all of, like, knowing about all of his methodology and stuff is, like, for me, I feel like it's the first time I'm watching an actor and understanding the method, method of acting is a process that actually works, right? Like, because <laughs> I've seen some of the earlier Shia movies and, like, he's fine, he's okay, but here, in this movie, in Infomaniac, and in, like, Fury, like, he's kind of blowing me away. And, like, to, yeah. to know that it's because of the method uh, is really interesting to me, because, like, I really feel like it's the first time, like, it's really clicked in my mind that, like, oh, it's not just, like, bullshit that they talk about that you hear about, because there's other actors who, they say they follow the method of acting, and the method, method of acting, and, you know, I don't know that it makes it any better for them or any worse. You know, maybe they should just go memorize their lines with their spouse or something instead, and that, that's, you know, the way that they should do it, but here... Like, that's what I like, is um, it's really coming through. I'm really wondering if this is going to be, as we go on, if it's going to be, like, a good thing or a bad thing that we're starting new and working old. Like, I wonder if we're going to be able to appreciate his, like, some subtleties in his older performance. Because I feel like if we started with, like, the Even Stevens movie and Monkey Business and The Christmas Path <laughs> and Holes, and we're just, like, there's nothing here for us to latch on, and then we wind up here, I feel like these movies would, like, blow us away as much, but I feel like there w- there wouldn't be stuff early on. I feel like the, this, like, starting with the best of what he's done and working our way back is gonna, I think, I hope, give us new insights or give us something else to latch onto down the road. Like, maybe, you know, he's not going crazy into character for these movies that he doesn't want to do. Like, I'm sure he didn't really want to do Transformers 2 or 3. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. But maybe there's something that we can sort of see that he takes from somewhere inside him that he wasn't able to, like, fully express until these movies and sort of weave it into Transformers 3 or something. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see his approach before he gets to this point and how well that works for him. And, yeah, I'd like to see, uh, like, when we get there, what where, what the seeds were, where they were planted, and if they were even planted to begin with. But, you know, uh, that's the thing. Like, I wonder if his career took off in a certain direction because of certain strengths that worked at the box office, but then maybe he realized as an actor that's not exactly what his real strengths were, and then he discovered, like, this is the path, and, like, this is where he should be going. It's just, I, I just worry because it seems like an exhaustive mes- method of acting. Like, you know, how long can you keep this up like i think of like marlon brando which people credit as like the ultimate method actor and like you know he shined really bright and fast and kind of and then fell and was you know and then made dr moreau right like. right yeah and like i that's the only thing i just want a lot more of this type of performance i don't want it to burn out and like i'm definitely going to be looking for hints of it as we go backwards and and i almost wonder if that's why he did it you know, I kept thinking, like, why did he watch his movies in reverse? Why didn't he just go forward through time? And maybe he was trying to rediscover, like, you know, his roots and where he came from and, like, how did he get where he was and is there something 
that he lost in the past that he was trying to reincorporate into into his method style nowadays. Like, looking at the movies that we have coming up, there's a couple more where I feel like he'll be able to sort of express himself a little bit more creatively. Like, the next one we're doing is The Company You Keep with him and Robert Redford, who mm-hmm. was name-checked in this movie, you know, in that scene with the cabbie. Oh, right, you look like I, Redford. <laughs> he's like, no, I don't look like Redford. You look like Redford. And the cabbie's like, oh, I love it. I love this guy. I haven't seen that. But then, then there's Lawless, which I don't really remember, but that's sort of more... I mean, that was more of a mainstream movie, but kind of like on the indie side of things. But then we enter the part of his career where there's like the three Transformers movies, there's Indiana Jones, there's Eagle Eye, there's Wall Street 2, and it's all these movies where I, I feel like, and I mean, we'll see, because I really haven't seen them all in years, because I think most of these movies that he's done I've only seen once, and I probably only saw in theaters. You know, I wonder if they don't seem like the kind of movies that will be able to express himself creatively. Like, I feel like... In a movie like Charlie Countryman, which is written by a guy who had never written... He had only written Project X, that party movie, and then directed by a guy who had never directed a feature before, I feel like Shia being sort of this guy who's been in 25 things by this point, and even though he's sort of like a young guy, I feel like if he went to the writer and the director was like, hey, here's my take on this, they'd be more receptive, as opposed to going to Michael Bay and saying, like, I want to do this thing, and Michael Bay's like oh, this is a $250, $250 million movie, just do what's on the page. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there's a couple more movies that we have coming up where he's going to be able, I think, I hope, a little bit more flexibility, and then sort of down the road a little bit more, maybe with, like, the mid-2000s, like Disturbia and Bobby and A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints. I think there possibly could be some creative freedom there. But that's also, like, eight to ten years earlier in his life. So I don't know. Like, I'm really kind of interested to see how this plan, this, this plays out. I, I wish that, like, you know, I, I feel like we're sort of, like, rushing through the best parts of his career, but, like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just nervous to get to that, like, the, like, eight block, yeah. eight movie block of, like, blockbusters, right. because I just know that they're not going to be as, like, creatively fulfilling as these movies have been. Yeah, I agree with you all the way. You know, when we get to those movies, I think I'll be watching them in a different manner than if I was just in order or for pleasure, and I'm going to be really focused in on how does he hold his own in this type of movie because we'll know they're like the ma- it's like the mainstream phase of his career and basically what it really seems to take to be a mainstream actor is stamina you know like does he have the stamina to show up on time on a giant set and learn his lines and be the focus of every shot and every you know and hold a movie like that and it, it it's like um almost kind of like a uh, training ground in a lot of ways it seems right like m- most actors kind of try their entire career to get to that point but Shia got there really early you know that's how it seems like he's one of he was like the young blockbuster guy running around through Spielberg productions and you know because all those Transformer movies were Spielberg and then Indy is Spielberg and through that web of connections you get through like into the Bruckheimers and everybody else so he was knee deep into that crew for a really long time so yeah I look forward to just studying how he was able to navigate that world he feels really at home in this world, you know, in this indie, weird, quirky, you know, method world that he's in. Like, he fits, and I wonder if he's going to stick out like a sore thumb in those movies. I really wonder, I don't know that we're going to necessarily do it for this podcast, because I kind of like the idea of, like, a limited run, 
of just doing what he watched. I mean, we will get back to Man Down if we can ever get our hands on that, but, like, these new movies that are coming out, like American Honey and, you know, the other stuff that he's going to be doing that are still indie, but, like, I wonder as he gets... Because I feel like at some point, maybe, but maybe not, like, if he ever does, like, another blockbuster again, you know, if he's ever, like, a leading man in Hollywood as opposed to a leading man on the indie scene if he's going to sort of bring these new sensibilities, or if he's ever going to, like... Because I don't see him ever really reverting back to, like, the system, you know, like the Hollywood machine. Mm -hmm. I feel like he wants to set things on his own path, and I'm just wondering if he's... You know, because I feel like some director... I mean, we talked about it with Cage when we were doing Cage, but, like, somebody like a Tarantino or somebody could grab Mm -hmm. him. Like, like, he almost feels like, you know, in The Hateful Eight, that... Channing Tatum role could have been yeah. Shia, you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like that's he'll yeah, that's about as close as he'll get back into that mainstream world. I feel is just working with distinguished directors again. I mean, I, I think of Fury and like it feels like it was mainstream, but I talked to people since we recorded that episode and lots of people aren't really aware of that movie that I was, you know, a lot less people than than I thought were aware of that movie and everyone that I know has seen it really really likes it but it's not like this giant blockbuster film or anything you know so like I had kind of thought maybe that was a bit of his return to that world but it actually wasn't like that's a very that movie's kind of on the edge of like the popular world you know like I feel like it's pretty it's thinking about it now it's like it's very brutal it's very dark it's very honest I mean Brad Pitt is in it but still like you know not everybody's has seen it so like yeah I, I don't know I wonder what his turn will be back into that world if he does I, I just can't picture him ever wanting to or going to play like a superhero or anything you know like in a Marvel right. or DC movie I feel like we're also in a weird time where having a movie star like a bona fide movie star like Brad Pitt in your movie doesn't mean that everybody's gonna go see it like mm-hmm. I feel like the last handful of movies that Brad Pitt's done you know Fury and like maybe going back to Inglorious Bastards but like everything since then you know like Fury and by the Sea with Angelina Jolie and 12 Years a Slave. Like, these movies, you know, they're not movies that are, like, for mainstream consumption. Like, I don't know... I guess sort of as the indie scene kind of becomes bigger and the spread of wealth or whatever you want to... Like, it just... Yeah. It's, it, we, li- we live in a weird time, sort of. Yeah, it's amazing who gets on-demand releases. I mean, I think even Tom Hanks had a movie that, like, lasted two weeks and went right to on-demand this year, you know? And and who would have ever thought we'd have seen Brad Pitt in a zombie movie, you know? And now he's talking World War Z 2 and he wants to get, like, Fincher to direct it or something, you know? It's it's just a crazy world we live in now, and you're right. There's, there's really no guarantee anymore or that, you know, because Clooney's in your film, it's going to make bank or anything. You might get it made, but, I mean, I saw Money Monster this year with my dad, and, like, there weren't that many other people there. (laughs) So it's enjoyable enough, but, like, it's not going to get the draw that it used to, you know? You used to just have to need your big blockbuster star, like, you know, just put Tom Cruise in it and no problem, but I'm not sure. Again, with, like, Jack Reacher, like, cool movie, but I don't know a lot of people that I can talk to about it because most people haven't really checked it out. I feel like the the, the sort of the farther into the future we get, the more movies like Charlie Countryman or, like, like 
the less movies like Money Monster there are going to be and the more movies like Charlie Countryman there are going to be, I feel like it's just like movies made for like a specific subset, like non-expensive mm. movies. Like I can't imagine this movie was too expensive to make. I think they shot it based on like the special thanks and stuff. I think they actually did shoot it in Bucharest, so I'm sure it wasn't too expensive because I'm sure everything is relatively cheap over there. Like It's not like they had any sort of extravagant sets. It seemed like they sort of just used the city, right? Yeah. So I'm sure that this movie, you know, it obviously didn't make a lot in theaters. I, I don't know in terms of, I can't find a production budget for it, but I feel like there's going to be more movies like this that are just for people who are fans of Shia or fans of Mads or just, you know, I'm sure it was bigger in Europe than it is here. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like th- we're going to have, like, more segmented audiences and, like, I'm okay with it. It just, it, it, re- it requires more work on, like, the film, on the moviegoers' behalf, right? Because mm-hmm. you can you can go, like, what's weird is that like, you go to the movie theater and you see, like, there's, like, eight things or ten movies or whatever. And for the most part, they're going to be there for a while. And, like the, like, the stuff you're talking about, like, Money Monster, even though that's sort of like a national movie, that's gone quickly. But then there's just as many, if not more than that many, that just go straight to iTunes or straight to Video On Demand or straight to Blu-ray even now. And, you know, just to see, like, you you can just completely miss movies from your favorite actors or maybe directors just because everything's changing. Yeah, it's tough, but, I mean, it's like an unexpected byproduct of doing these podcasts have been sort of finding movies within um, filmographies of people like Cage and Keanu and Shia that I'd never heard of, you know, and that I've gotten to discover and stuff. And what that has also made me do is give actors more of a chance you know like uh, like I was saying earlier with Mads Mikkelsen like a while back I was kind of like seeking out a lot of his work and like now I do that more and more often where I'll kind of try to track an actor or a director and sit and watch you know two or three of his movies you know over the course of a week instead of just like one every once in a while you know so just so I could get more of like um, a feel for their work and stuff and and it's just a better way to kind of discover new things while sort of exploring like familiar territory you know like you you're there with someone like Keanu but then you know you find a movie like I Love You to Death which is completely new and you've never seen before so it's kind of cool in that way and I mean once we're sort of committed to these actors like there's not it's like there's not a reason why like there's ever gonna be like a Nicolas Cage movie that I'm not gonna see like I've seen 79 like what like what effort does it take to see one more, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's, and I feel like that's sort of, like, you know, it, it fishtails, like, you can especially kind of follow that kind of path that, like, if, if we didn't know who Mads Mikkelsen was, like, if you hadn't gone into the Refn phase, which, this movie really makes me, like, regret not having seen, like, Valhalla. Like, Val- oh, is it yeah. Valhalla or Valhalla Rising? Oh, Valhalla Rising, yeah, great. Valhalla Rising, like, there's, there's movies that I know that, like, these, these, like, you know, the movies that Refn did before Drive, like, I know I'm gonna love, and, like, seeing Mads in here, but, like, you can sort of follow this Shia path, right, and then you don't see, like, maybe you, you're like, oh, this this guy, who's really, honestly, not in it that much, but, like, every time he's on screen is terrifying. Yeah. Like, the first time when Shia is in the bathroom on LSD or whatever, on ecstasy, taking a piss with, like, in the urinal, there's, like, an eye looking up at him, and then there's just Mads right there, and I'm just like, oh, that's gotta be the most terrifying thing in the world. <laughs> or, you know, later in the movie when he gets hit by the car and then he looks up, and whether or not Mads is actually there or not, he sees him and just like, oh, that's also terrifying. So this guy who's maybe on screen for 20 minutes, like, you know, if you follow the career path of Ashaya, you can then sort of diverge into seeing Mads, being like, what else has this guy done? He's like, oh, he's he was Hannibal for three years, or oh, he's been in like these incredibly violent European movies, and oh, he's like bilingual or trilingual, and just like amazing. It's just like it's it's like if you want to put in the work, you can just like movies like this are sort of like a great way to like 
you know, to, to find more stuff. And, like, I think what we sort of talked about in, in both good and bad ways on past podcasts about first-time directors and first-time writers and stuff is that, you know, a movie like this that even though it wasn't received very well that we both liked, I mean, if these guys do another movie or, you know, write another, write another movie or direct another movie, they're things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be interested to see because this is enough of a ticket to be like, oh, I want to I find out what happens next, like what comes next for these guys. Yeah, and which makes the Metacritic score all the more baffling because the talent is here. It's right. Like, it, I don't feel like it could be more obvious. Like, I jumped right on the internet after and looked up who made this movie, who the director was, what, who the writer was, like all that stuff, and I was kind of disappointed to discover that they don't have another movie I could go rent tomorrow or the next day. Right. So now I'm like, okay, what other movies um, were Evan Rachel Wood in? Because I, I know I've seen her in stuff, but I can't really place it, you know, and I really, you know, maybe I'll just go check out one of her films or something. So it goes on. I mean, also in this movie is Rupert Grint, a.k.a. Ron Weasley, in a oh, role yeah. that's very, I mean, I mean, it's as far <laughs> from Ron Weasley as, like, Daniel Radcliffe in Equus was from Harry Potter. I mean, he's just a guy who's training to become a porn actor. Not a porn star, he just wants to act. He doesn't have, like, ambitions of stardom. And then a guy taking five or six Romanian Viagra. Like, it just... Like, that whole weird subplot. And then he's paired with a guy who basically looks and acts like he was born to be on Game of Thrones and has never been on Game of Thrones. (laughs) Everything about this is just likable and enjoyable, and it's just crazy baffling why people... Don't like. I know why people necessarily haven't heard of it, but like why critics found it like repulsive and just like people saying like it's excessive sex and violence and about how it's just arrogance of like youth as a writer and stuff that like it's just it's it's. I mean, read the Metacritic comments on IMDb. Like it's it's weird. I wonder if it's because we just watched Nymphomaniac and like like, to compare the two. Like this is just such a breath of fresh air. You know, like it's just exhilarating to watch this movie. Don't I didn't find it to be like up its own ass one degree whatsoever. I immediately sort of was drawn into this. I mean, right in the opening, I think one thing that was great, I mean, let's talk about casting real quick again. Vincent D'Onofrio plays like yeah. his, maybe his dad. We're not even sure if it's just like his stepdad or the guy his mom's with. While she's Different dead. last name. Mm. Just his presence was sort of just warm and inviting and just brought me into the movie. And I was like, okay, like... Shia and D'Onofrio like that's an interesting combo I never thought I'd ever see them facing off and they're just like really good together and like everybody just really connects and has chemistry in this movie and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't understand why they would think that way. I mean, maybe they're just caught up in the, there are no good new original properties, or like, this is just trying to be too indie and Euro or something, but I, I don't know. I don't. I, I can't understand it either. I mean, this is a movie that somehow has the luxury of having a Academy Award winner Melissa Leo in, like, three scenes. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. like, she's, she's a pivotal character, and she's terrific in the beginning, and then really, like, sort of like another breath of fresh air at the end, but I, I just, I don't understand the criticism of this film. I, I really, truly don't. What also is great about this movie, I think, is that Shia on the plane talking to Evan Rachel Woods, talking, talking to Gabby's dad, it doesn't feel like a movie. Like, it just feels like Shia's on a plane and just talking to a guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, it's it sort of reminds me of, a, in a sense, of Under the Skin, that Scarlett Johansson movie, where she's just driving around the streets of Europe and that's actually her just talking to like random passersby about whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. it's just mm-hmm. it, it just feels like we're not in a movie, which just feels like we're watching this guy 
you know, follow his mom's wishes and just see what goes on, or, you know, him talking to the guy on the plane, or him talking to cab drivers, or him talking to the guy who owns the, the host- Marco Polo the youth hostel, hostel. Yeah. yeah. It's just like these, like, little, like, interactions that are just so great. Yeah, it almost does feel like those lightning in a bottle moments where it's like, let's just jump in a cab and start filming. You know, like, I'll sit in the front seat, you get in the back, and we'll, we'll just tell the cab driver, like, to go, to go, right? And feed him lines and stuff, or, or, or things like that. And, and I, yeah, with the plane sequence, I thought that was, like, really interesting. A, it was, like, one of the best sort of looking shots on a plane, I felt. Like, it really, because it goes from night to day, and it really just captured it really well. And the ceilings weren't too high, I just really bought that. But it also does this weird thing where I felt like the scene was about to end and it kept going and then it kind of kept going more and stuff and they established this little bond between each other. Yeah, I just really enjoyed the pace of this movie and it knows what's important and what's not. You know, maybe aside from just like how rapid everything takes place, like that might be the one you know, false thing about it. Like, maybe if it took place over a week instead of a weekend, it might have been a bit more of a believable thing. But, like, I liked everything else. And when they get to the hostel, I was like, okay, like, this this makes sense. Like, this kind of... I understand now, like, youth hostels and things like the portrayal of it and stuff. I just thought that was really cool. Like, they were playing off that, but it also felt really genuine. You know, it was... Because it was just like a big party scene, but it didn't feel like, you know, Point Break's surfer beach party where they have guys like blowing fire and things like that it's just you know travelers doing drugs and and, and <laughs> sleeping <laughs> basically bottom line i don't know how many more times i need to say it or how to say it but just, I, I really really like this movie i'm not sure where it's available if it's available to stream or anything like that because I, I this is a movie that i feel like not everybody's gonna like this movie i don't think but it's on netflix Oh, so. okay. Yeah, then I say definitely give it a shot because there's good movies that I don't like too. But I would def- I definitely say this is a good movie that I like. I don't think I really have anything else in my notes. I mean, we don't really talk necessarily a lot about like we talked about a whole bunch of different stuff, not necessarily about the movie. So you might have stuff left over. But is there anything else you want to talk about with this? Um, I really liked sort of the B plot that was going on, like not like the whole the whole thing going on with uh, Mads Mikkelsen and you know the, that whole the escalation of it and everything about how. Okay, so when the movie starts, Charlie's hanging upside down with the shit kicked out of him, and he gets dropped into a sewer from, like, what, like, 50 feet or something? Then the movie starts, we flash back to him waking up in the bathtub, going to see um, his mom basically die. What I liked was the way it connected back, you know? Like, everything wrapped up nice and tight for me. Like, I wasn't expecting that. I was almost, like, waiting for it to have to make a shortcut or contrive a situation to get us to the end in a weird way, you know, but it was like almost as, it was like as smooth as Fight Club, which I thought of also on the plane when they were on the airplane. I thought of Fight Club a few times watching this actually, just in the, um, sort of like the stylized, the way it was shot and, and some of the themes and stuff like that. So I enjoyed like not just his search for himself, but also the sort of plot that he gets mixed up in with the gangsters and everything. Absolutely. Like, there's there's another whole movie here, probably, of whatever Mads Mikkelsen's actually up to. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, of that tape of the Cubbies winning the World Series in 95, which is just him and Darko, I think, mm-hmm. taking out a few guys execution style. Like, there's a whole... You know, if they wanted to dive into and sort of have, like, a... You know, like a Rashomon kind of, like, where everybody's <laughs> coming from, you know, point of view to this point. Like, there's more story to tell here, but I kind of like focusing on Shy and this outsider getting way in over his head like way too fast just sort of trying to like, not even like fight his way out of it like just kind of give into it and just trying to do one last thing to make his mom 
proud in some kind of way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really good like fish out of water story too. You know, when it comes down to it, at its most basic level, like sometimes those can be really contrived. And I felt like this was good, like American in a foreign land getting mixed up in foreign you know stuff he doesn't understand. Uh, it almost had a, like now that I think about it, there's this weird sort of neo Hitchcock thing going on in this movie, right? Where it's got like spy stuff and intrigue flavor. Like the girl's a cellist, but she's also running with like mobsters. I don't know. Now that I think about it, it's it's kind of cool. I would uh, rewatch it under that eye maybe next time. Absolutely, this is a movie that I really wouldn't mind watching once every like couple years like mm-hmm. it just I, there's just something I mean I was saying when I was watching it that like it made me cry in the beginning and not like out of sadness it was just like I don't know like you know the movie gets super dark and violent but like there's just there are these moments early on like this these just pure expression of joy and it's just I don't know what it is it's just it's just wonderful at like, the first 20 minutes it's just like it's I mean the whole I really like the whole movie but like the first 20 minutes are beautiful yeah I think that actually strikes a really nice balance between a lot of emotions really like joy and pain and and fear and and loss and you know every time you sort of feel like you're secure like he's partying it up with his hostile friends and then all of a sudden they're in like a life or death situation and everyone's scared shitless you know like I really love that like it takes you on this emotional journey and I myself also broke down you know more than once in this film (laughs) I mean it's just it's designed that way and I and I think if you're if you accept it and you know and you enjoy it like it's doing its job absolutely go see this one on Netflix it's it's not long it's like an hour 43 I think and there's like the credits are long so I mean you can knock this out in close to 90 minutes I mean it's mm-hmm. there's no reason not to see it I don't think I really really like this movie a lot so for all things all his movies you go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub you can find the other podcasts if you want to know what a movie like this with Zac Efron could have been like I mean you can go listen to one of our close to 10 Zac Efron podcasts that are up by now so you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what this would have been like with Zeph in it, but I'm glad. I'm, ver- I'm so glad that Shia was in it, and we got to do it for this one. So, I'm also glad that you liked it as much as I did. Yeah, I did, and I'm gonna try and push this on people as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Joey Lewandowski, and I'm Mike Manzi, and we'll see you next time on All His Movies. I've got an Ill-